Welcome to Big Blend Radio with your hosts, Lisa and Nancy, editors of BigBlendMagazine.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Big Blend Radio's Travel Writers Panel Discussion Show with the International Food, Wine, Travel Writers Association. They're an awesome organization that connects travel writers, authors, bloggers, photographers with destinations and those in the food and wine industry. And I encourage you to go to their website, ifwtwa.org. All the links we're talking about today will be in the show notes, whether you're listening on YouTube or Google Podcasts, Apple, Spotify, uh, even Facebook, um, and it will all be there. Today, we're excited to welcome two uh, IFTWA travel writers to talk about some of their favorite lake destinations. You know, we're at that time of year right now, getting towards the end of summer. doesn't really feel like it right now, um, but it is getting there. Trust me, it, it'll happen. Um, and then we head into fall, and there's something really magical about lakes at that time of year where depending on where you are, you might get those golden trees, those golden leaves, those red leaves, and beautiful blue skies and that really dark blue lake. You know what I mean? It's beautiful. It's just that perfect time of year to enjoy lakes. And today, though, we're going to go from India to Mauritius to Guatemala and British Columbia. And I'll throw some other lake destinations from the U.S. and into the mix. And so that's what we do. We travel full time across the country, Nancy and I, on our Love Your Parks Tour, documenting parks, public lands, and a lot of them have lakes. So our first guest, we're going to start off in Atlanta. We're going to bring on Sucheta Raval, and she is a an award-winning South Asian food and travel writer. And she's been in a number of publications everywhere from Time Magazine and CNN to Travel and Leisure, Huffington Post, Triple A. She's also a five-time author of Beto Goes 2. It's a series of children's books that educates kids about the diversity of the world. We love that. Uh, she is also the founder of the nonprofit Go Eat Give. We're going to talk to her a little bit about that today as well. And she's traveled to over 100 countries across seven continents. She's making me tired, but also uh, excited to chat with her. So welcome, Suchetta. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me, Lisa. Hey, very excited to chat with you. I want everyone to know your website. Do you want to give it to them so they can start following your adventures? Absolutely. So it's my full name, SuchettaRavel.com. And right. that gives you links to my books and my blog and uh, all my tutorials. See, I just wanted to make sure I got your name right. And I was partway there, but not fully. But I'll get there. I'll get there by the end of this call. Um, where were you born? Were you born in this country? I was born in India, in Mumbai. And I grew okay. up in India till I was in high school. And then I moved to Atlanta. And I've been here for over 25 years now. Oh, how cool. And so now you've gone back to India. I know one of the places you want to talk about is Dal Lake. And so um, have you been going back and forth over your life or is it recently as an adult? Yeah, so I've been going back to India generally once a year uh, ever since I moved here just to visit my family. Um, so I and every time I go to India, I try to travel to a destination that I had not been to before. So, you know, I spend a week with my family and then I say one week, I'm just going to go and explore because India is such a vast country. It's almost like going to Europe. You cannot cover it even in, in your entire lifetime. So even though I grew up there and I visited a few places, but now I go back and really spend more time in each state, in each region and uh, try to 
look at it from a travel and food writer's point of view. What's it like in regards, because I'm really glad you said how big India is, because I think we forget that. We always think of the main cities. I, I think we're all guilty of that, even like for the states, we'll think LA, New York, you know what I mean? So we, and yet, um, India is so diverse as well, um, ge- geographically with the, the terrain, the landscape, but on, and climate even, right? But then also diversity in cultures. Um, so do you have to know different languages to get around or people speaking mostly English? How is that for travelers who have never been to India? That's a great question, Lisa, because India is like, like I said, it's like going to European Union. So if you travel from the north to the south, they're completely different languages, different cultures. And even myself being a native Indian, you know, I speak Hindi and Punjabi and English, but still I also have challenges navigating sometimes. Mm. So I feel the most common language that you can get away with would be English, mm. um, especially when you're traveling in the south. And then because if you, if you're in a tourist, uh, attraction or a hotel, then yes, definitely they will speak English. So even if you speak Hindi, the national language, you you will still be challenged. That That's how it was in, you know, I grew up in Kenya, uh, South Africa and England. England, everyone's pretty much speaking English. However, there are many dialects in England. And some people like the Geordies, I have no clue. I'm sorry, I need help. <laughs> I do understand my my friends from Scotland, though. Um, <laughs> for some reason, I do understand them. Um, but it's, it's interesting. South Africa, it was like, okay, you know, English is pretty much that way because there's so many cultures. Uh, and, and in school, I was lucky because I got to learn Kosa and Zulu and different, you know, tribal language, same in Kenya. But of course, if you're not using them, man, it's like, you know, it's really hard to keep those languages going if you're not talking with friends with in, in those languages. But, um, and, and I remember going to England. As a kid, and um, I lived in in Kenya in, in the bush with different tribes for part of my childhood, and um, and you know we've got you know all kinds of languages, you know, like you're saying Hindi, job, you've got uh, you know Muslim population there too, and I remember getting on a train as a little kid, and you know my mom's really keeping that memory going. She always laughs because our conductor of the train in London taking us up to um, to go north, he. He's a black man, and I went up to him and I looked him I, and I looked down because you do not talk um, in different tribes. You do not look it directly in someone's eyes. Whereas right. here in this country, that's rude, but over there, it's respect, and um, it's, it, and it does actually differ per uh, culture. Then I asked him what tribe he was, and he was so offended. And yet, that was, I was raised to ask what tribe, so I knew what how to speak and how to to behave. And um, he did not find that funny whatsoever, or he just did not like that. And um, so then I'm like, oh, I'm definitely in a different country. <laughs> so that was kind of my first culture shock as a kid was going to England out of Africa. You know, it was kind of a wow. That that's so a, that's funny. A, yeah, you, yeah, you know, it, it was wild, you know, you'd think. But I mean, I was born in the States, but left when I was a year and a half old and so I was pretty much, I was African, no matter what, <laughs> no matter what they did with me. And still to this day, I feel I'm, I'm from Africa, you know, but I want to bring our next guest, Michelle Fedosov on. Uh, she is the author of sightsandbites.org. And that's B-I-T-E-S because, you know, she writes about travel and food. Uh, and she is out in British Columbia. So welcome, Michelle. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you for very much for having me today. I appreciate oh, I'm it. How are you? 
Oh, doing good, doing good uh, right now. Recording from uh, Bed and Breakfast, Tiffany's Bed and Breakfast in Arkansas, overlooking a forest and um, all kinds of hardwoods and watching butterflies and birds. There's a bluebird right out my window right now. So I'm doing quite good. <laughs> there's a lake down the road, uh, De Grey, so where there's bald eagles. So yeah, I'm right. I'm right in the theme today for lakes. Um, Michelle, you're in British Columbia. Whereabouts? I actually live in um, Burnaby, which is um, right uh, next to Vancouver, BC. Oh, okay, pretty. It's a beautiful area, from what I've heard. I have not been there yet. Yes, yet. yet. And you should get here. It's it's absolutely gorgeous. I think it's the best city in in all of Canada. That's you know my personal opinion on that. <laughs> so definitely, you should come. <laughs> now, were you born and raised there too? Um, I am born in, in British Columbia, but um, didn't move to, Va- I moved to Vancouver when I was 19 years old. So just a, a handful of years ago, I won't tell you how many, but I've been here for quite some time and, and um, just fell in, fell in love with it, fell in love with the, the, you know, green, it's green all year round. It's, there's no snow. It's, it's, it's lovely. One thing I wanted to say to you, I know um, you've been through 13 countries, so you've been traveling globally as well, Mexico, uh, Scotland, Spain, um, but also India, which I, I love to connect. Um, so do you want to tell, uh, especially, you know, since we have, you know, we've got Sucheta here, uh, tell tell her where you've been in India and maybe you've both been to the same places. Yeah, so my trip to India was really, really great. Um, my son and my husband, for my birthday one year, sat me down and said, my son said to me, you know, mom, um, we're not very patient with you when you are taking photos. So we're going to send you on a photo trip. And here's some options for you. And they had some great options for me. But I looked them looked at them and said, I need to go to India. It, um, it just seemed fascinating to me. And so I was um, in um, Delhi, old and, and New Delhi, um, went to Varanasi and, and excuse me if I'm not pronouncing that, that uh, properly, but, you know, on the steps down into the Ganges River um, and, of course, went and did the tourist thing of looking for tigers. And it was absolutely amazing, stunning. I, I, yeah. I actually went, I was there the year before COVID hit and I can't wait to get back. Wow. Did you see a tiger? Yes, I did. Oh, wow. <laughs> I saw a tiger and managed to get a couple of really wonderful photos. Oh, wow. That is amazing. I had a friend that um, was on CNN. Um, oh, my. I can't remember the gentleman. He, I used to watch, I think it's Bill something. He was doing a series on CNN about, I'm going to say, almost 10 years ago, maybe less. It was all about places that are going away, you know, that they're disappearing from climate change or... um you know, it's like Venice is, you know, has those flooding kind of waters coming up and, you know, places like that. And he was going to, he went to India with him and did a CNN special and never saw a tiger once on this whole TV series. And oh. he's traveled the world. He, he he worked in wildlife conservation and went to, you know, anyway, he was, he was a brilliant man. But here he goes and does this whole big thing. National TV, international, I should say, and nothing and he said because they were very diligent about not doing things to make the tigers come out um for a tv production they were very because it was about conservation and um 
so they were just trying to make it as natural as possible for that. So, um, that's, that's interesting. So, so, so Chetta, have you been to any of the places, uh, Michelle is talking about? Yes. Uh, so Delhi is, uh, definitely my backyard. I grew up in a city just north of that. Uh, but I haven't been to Varanasi. I've heard a lot of good things about it and what a great place to photograph. And, you know, I've been on other tiger. Uh, centuries around India, but I, I personally wasn't able to see them either. So it's, it can be hit or miss with wildlife, as you know. And tigers are very elusive. Like you can see, uh, big cats, lions, um, cheetahs in, in Africa, but I found like tigers are probably the hardest big cats mm-hmm. to spot. So I, I'm not yeah. surprised that he wasn't able to see any. Yeah, and, and that his work comes stems from Africa and uh, was with Born Free um, organization. And um, that, yeah, I mean, there's uh, we've got to look at we're losing tigers so quickly. But um, that's excellent, Michelle, that, that you you were able to see them. We're a little jealous, I think, <laughs> all of us yeah. on this, yeah. <laughs> in well, this what, conversation. What was really what was really fabulous about um, so it was um, Rathenbore. Uh, mm-hmm. National Park, I, I believe that's mm-hmm. how you say it. And what was really interesting and wonderful um, is that your driver, so we had a, a Jeep and a driver and a guide, had a um, a specified spot that we could go to look for the taggers, and they were very clear with us. If we see a tagger or think there's a tagger over and outside of our area, we are we're not going. We're not allowed to go, and we won't go. And so we, we had an area that we were able to go through the jungle and just quite, quite frankly, we could see the tracks and the, the guys were very, quite excited. But I honestly at some point thought, oh, we're not going to get to see the tiger. And then he came out of the, out of the jungle and it was stunning. Oh, wow. Wow. And, and that's great that they do have those kind of limitations, you know, of it's like when you go on a whale watching cruise to not, you know, have the boat be on top of the whale. Which isn't a smart thing exactly. anyway, because the whales are bigger. I'm just saying <laughs> they are <laughs> bigger. So you see, I, I see how I, you know, we got to some body of water there. Now we're going to go to lakes. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> let's, let's, let's stick with the theme of India and, um, tell us a little bit about Doll Lake. Um, you've got this, uh, wonderful article, Sucheta, uh, Rawal, did, Rawal, did I say it? I got to oh, get yeah. this right. <laughs> Ravel, yeah. Ravel, Ravel. Okay, I'm going to say it's like Ravel, but it's Ravel. Okay. Um, dot com, if you go there. And, uh, this is about Kashmiri tea, right? And, um, but you went out to Dal Lake for this. And this uh, story was a finalist for one of IFTWA, the International Food Wine Travel Writer Association, uh, contests. And so this was a finalist for it. Um, but tell us a little bit about the lake. Yeah, so this lake is in the northernmost part of India, which is a state called Jammu and Kashmir. Um, it is uh, often referred to as the disputed territory between India and Pakistan, but you don't have to go far out to the border. All you have to do is go to Srinagar, the capital of Kashmir, which is basically just one hour flight from New Delhi. Um, but this, the city is Kash- Srinagar. It is also known as the Switzerland of India. And if you've watched any Bollywood movies, especially that mm-hmm. were filmed in the eighties or the nineties, you will see a lot of backdrops of this lake and the mountains surrounding it. So it is like an alpine lake right in the heart of the city. 
um, and it's the most popular place to visit in Srinagar. But, you know, this is like go- as if you were going in on a gondola in Venice. You have to take a boat ride, which is known as Shikara. It's like the, those small wooden long boats. And you take a ride just by yourself or with a couple of friends on the dull lake. And I think personally, the best time to go is either early morning or mm-hmm. at sunset because the scenery is spectacular. Um, in the morning, it's more of the, you know, the mist rising over the water and you see the light coming out from behind the mountains. And these are the Himalayas. So they're the highest mountain peaks in the world. You'll see snow in the winter time. In the fall, you'll see beautiful changing colors. And August, summertime, it still has a nip in the air. So you start to experience that. And then as the light starts coming out, you start seeing more and more of these boats who are uh, vendors. They are selling vegetables and tea and fruits and flowers. They're just coming out into the lake. And there's a gathering area which becomes a marketplace. And it's more of a secondary market. Uh, because a dull lake is very lush. They grow a lot of flowers and uh, vegetables around mm-hmm. the lake. So the, these are actual residents living around there and they're coming to sell their produce in the morning to wholesalers. And so you become a part of that action if you go in the morning time. And it's, it's just so beautiful to like grab a cup of kehwa, which is the tea there. It's made with saffron and almonds. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's a, like a green tea, so very healthy for you, but it also warms you up as you're waking up into that sunrise. And then you watch the whole village come alive on the water. So I wow. think it's magical. That is, that that sounds amazing. And yeah, you know, when you think about t- the tea component of it too, you know, it's, there's nothing like tea from India. I mean, Kenyan tea was good too, but I'm just saying there's, there's something um, very connected and, and um, I don't know that there's a, there's a spice for different things. You know, it seems like, it, like each tea is for what's going on in life, you know? So and now I, I just want to call that the lake tea, right? There's like a certain tea for the certain setting and what's going on with you in life. And um, that's awesome. That is, I mean, and when you were talking about, you know, how diverse India is, that just really proves it. Because you would think your immediate thing is, oh, tropical India, right? So this is a complete different setting for people to experience. It is. They have the highest uh, golf course in the world. There is a ski air resort around there and there are houseboats along the lake. So it's they get a lot of snow year round. So it, it's not um, definitely not the tropical India image that you may have thought of. Mm. This is more like the Switzerland of India. <laughs> did, did they have any, um, you know, water birds, lake birds? You know, because I know that India is really um, a major destination for bird watchers. Definitely. Um, I'm not personally a bird watcher, so I won't be able to name you any, but definitely there's mm-hmm. bird watching and it's also known for flowers. So for me, what stands out is lotus. You oh, know, yeah. 
you will while, while you're on the lake going through your boat you will probably go through gardens of lotus flowers especially during no way. this time oh man okay michelle do you want to go it sounds like <laughs> your your husband and son would enjoy the golf course yeah, absolutely. They would. Um, th- that would be really interesting. And it just sounds beautiful. It sounds like I need to be there just to photograph everyday life as well as the beauty. Um, mm-hmm. So definitely it's on my it's on my list to go now for sure. I know. I know because she's going back to India. So now you need to do it. Right. And then, um, you know, speaking of golf. So your destination is the Okanagan Valley. Did I pronounce that correctly? Yes, you did. Oh, I get one point today. Okay, there we go. So this is in southern British Columbia. And this is what's interesting to me, too, is you talk about this, and and you've also got an uh, an article on it on sitesandbites.org about this being sunny and dry. And when I was looking at your photos and everything, I'm like, that's not what we envision British Columbia to look like whatsoever. So this is a different... Uh, you know, just like what we're talking about with India, this is probably something people would be kind of, oh, wow, surprised at if they've never been there. Yes, I, I think so, too. Um, British Columbia, I think, is known for mountains and, you know, a lot of the green forests, which we, we do have. But the Okanagan is very special. It's There's multiple lakes through there, the fruit orchards, uh, the wineries. And depending on what part of the Okanagan Valley you you are in is is um, you know how hot and the and the rain um, fall uh, is different. And Osoyoos is actually in a in a desert. Wow! So I so didn't even know. We, yeah, <laughs> I didn't even know yeah. that. <laughs> it, it, it it's I think I believe it's Canada's only desert, and it's it's really quite fascinating to 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 see and to be there. Um, it's very lush um, in the orchards and the vineyards and then just all the dry desert uh, climate around it. And the temperatures reflect that, too. Oh, yeah. And that makes sense for vineyards to be out there. Now, I'm excited about that. That's cool. And you say also um, that it's, you know, in, in your article that it's, you know, one of the warmest freshwater lakes in the in the country. Yes, it is. Oh, yeah, wow. I, I believe that... Um, yeah, I, I don't recall exactly what the, the temperature is, but it is absolutely the, the one of the lakes that you can walk into on a nice hot day and, and you just get refreshed, but it doesn't, you don't notice that shock of walking into a lake. It, it's just lovely for me. I don't like cold mm-hmm. lakes, so this is my favorite, favorite location. Now, Sushetta, have you been to British Columbia in this region at all? Yes, I have. And I was going to oh, say, wow. Michelle, I totally agree with you. It is the most beautiful place in Canada that I've visited. And also a connection to tea. I don't know if you have been. There's a West Home Tea Company, which is uh, maybe the first or the only place in Canada that is growing tea. And that's wow. around or very close to you. Wow, I did not know that. That's that's very interesting. No, I didn't know that. Wow, how cool is this? So and so tea and wine, and that's that climate, right? That because deserts create that little cold snap that a lot of plants need. You know, um, even vineyards and and tea need that. That's interesting because I wouldn't think about tea in a desert area because what I grew up on a tea plantation in Kenya. Um, you, you, I'm sure you've all heard of the movie Out of Africa yeah. with Robert Redford and Meryl Streep. Yeah, 
So we used to live on a portion of Karen Blixen's land. In fact, her servants' quarters, which was renovated into housing. Um, yeah. And so that's, yeah, that's where I grew up as a kid in, in one part of my lifetime. And um, so you had tea plantations everywhere. And, but it was, you know, we were on the equator. So it's a little, I don't know, it's a little different than it. You know, it would have that heat, though. But I wouldn't think of it being in Canada in a desert climate. That's fascinating. I wonder, do you know what kind of tea they're growing? Um, I think they're growing mostly green teas. And like I said, you know, this is not typical of Canada. So this is the only plant that started. So um, I'm not sure how successful they're going to be, but they do have a small plantation. I was able to go visit last fall. Oh, wow. And where, where was it located? Um, it's in North uh, Kowichan. Oh, Kowichan? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I get. Yeah, and it's called West Home Tea Company. Hmm. Awesome. Now, what about this desert cultural center? I'm interested in that, and I love that sculpture you took a photo of um, with the horse and uh, Native American man, or what is was I should say the First Nations people, right in, in Canada. Mhm. Yeah, so the the uh, the desert um uh, the, the desert cultural center um is is actually really interesting. You 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 can go there, you can learn all about the First Nations people of of the Asiatic Indian band. Um you'll get to see sort of what their villages would have looked like. Um you, you'll get to learn a little bit about how they they respect the land and there's a, a few walking trails so you can go through the their living lands exhibit. It, it really is a, a fabulous way to learn about the culture and, and the area and just get a nice walk in. And of course, that sculpture, there's a, there's a couple of them throughout uh, located in uh, Soyuz and they're really, really beautiful. They're gorgeous. Mm. And then also, you know, Sucheta was talking about, you know, tea in Canada, but then also where she was talking about flowers and seems that, okay, you've got the vineyards, but orchards are also uh, there for fruit is, is doing good out there. Yes, so I, I've been going to Asuyas and the Okanagan for oh, probably 30 years, so I'm going to date myself now. And what's really, really fabulous is, is there's a, a schedule that you can take a look at so you can see which um, type of fruit is in bloom. So you can see all the orchards in full bloom. And then, of course, there's a schedule out there where you can see what fruit is available for you to purchase from the fruit stands or go and, and pick. And so mm. starting in about starting about early April, right through to mid-September, um, it, it's, it's just beautiful, either with the flowering trees or with the trees just loaded down with peaches and cherries and apples. And, and um, so, yeah, that, that was the first, that was my first um, time when I went to the Okanagan and to Asoyas was how stunningly beautiful it was with these orchards in full bloom in the early spring. And I, I'll, I'll never forget that. It was beautiful. Man, I think there's something really fascinating about lakes. We were up in the Midwest, um, oh, a lot, uh, you know, in the last few years, going to a lot of different parks. And one of them is Presque Isle in Pennsylvania, in Erie, Pennsylvania. And it's got one, of, it's one of the top 10 beaches in the country. And you never think of That's like amazing. lakes as a beach. They are a beach. It's a beach. And, um, you know, 
when we got on a boat and they were taking us to the lighthouse and they're telling us all about this, the history of the battle, you know, uh, the war of 1812, um, which was really huge. All, I mean, it, and you start looking at these lakes as how they were like the border between Canada and America. And, you know, this battle was just like a crazy one. And they were like talking about how the battleships, like the Niagara and, and things, they would actually you know, hide their ships underwater. They would sink their own ships over winter sometimes and then to hide them from the enemy. And I'm like, how do you do this? And then you're on the water. And I don't know if any of you've been to the Midwest in winter, but um, I would never want to be playing war and playing in the water at that time. In fact, it freezes. And that was the thing last year, you know, driving. We were actually in spring driving up through the lakes in Wisconsin area and a little bit of Minnesota. And I couldn't, I mean, this was like a sea of ice. It was extraordinarily beautiful and eerie, but like, you really understand how you could, like, you could die in the cold, like serious, like, this is serious. And having been snowed in quite a few times that time, frame, I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is not, you know, you don't play around about falling in water or in ice. I don't know how they do ice fishing. Um, I take my hat off to anybody who does anything in the Midwest with that snow and that ice. Um, that was a whole different experience, but those lakes are incredible and going up just to the history. And then when you're on the water on the boat, you are, it's, there's water everywhere. You literally forget you're on a lake and not in the ocean. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you, either of you have experienced that feeling where suddenly you forget that you're actually on a lake and not the ocean. You know, because I was actually recently on Lake Ontario in uh, Ah. area, and you know, you you don't really see where the lake ends and begins; it just keeps going on. I know it's weird, and they have seagulls, so that's confusing. (laughs) All of a sudden, there's seagulls, and you're like, "What are you doing? Am I at the beach?" No, I'm not. But yes, you are. (laughs) You know, it's like it's really quite. It's it's fascinating, you know, how the Great Lakes and that whole area is, and um, it's beautiful. and the Midwest, we just did this trip up uh, what is called the Jefferson Highway. It goes from, it was America's first or North America's first vacation route. And it goes from Winnipeg, Canada, down to New Orleans. And it is a re- revival of this. In fact, we have a podcast we do every fourth uh, Thursday talking about this highway with everybody. The communities are starting to put the old signs up and it's really cool. And we went on like a little camping uh, lake expedition and I could not believe how many lakes are in the Midwest. We went to a Pony Express Lake where the Pony Express came through in Missouri, a Buffalo Bill Lake. There were just lakes, lakes, lakes. And some of the lakes were um actually man made on top of old quarries where the mines the mining people they'd made their money and then they realized, oh, we really tore up the land. Let's do something and fix it. And that was one of the ways they restored the land was um, filling it with water and making these man-made lakes. And they're beautiful. They're absolutely beautiful yeah. with trails and wildflowers and pollinator gardens. And um, it's just a, the Midwest and the lakes, it's, it's cool. It's a cool way of life. But bring your mosquito spray, I'm just saying. <laughs> I learned that. When, I forgot. When, when you were in Winnipeg, did you manage to get to Lake Winnipeg? Because it, again, is it's just a massive lake and, and and you can't even see the other side in some areas and the beaches are just really really uh, soft and silky sand it's beautiful 
So I, I don't know. Did you manage to get up there? Because it, it, if you haven't, you, you should go. Uh, no, we haven't incredible. crossed into, we were going to cross into Winnipeg and, and schedules got a little twirled around for us because that is the goal. We want to cross over into Winnipeg and, and really connect the whole highway. We've done mo- most of it, but there's never, you can never finish when you do these kinds right. of projects because of the history. Cause this highway started in 1915 and was started by the editor of the Better Homes and Gardens magazine. See what happens in travel writing? He knew that all the agricultural communities needed tourism to uh, help them survive for the farms and the communities to survive. So that kind of shows the power of travel writing, doesn't it? Um, Yeah. Do you ever think of that? You know, uh, Suchetta, I want to go to you as, as a travel writer about what you're writing, the, you know, that consciousness part of it, of um, what, when you're writing something, what you're putting out there, what, are your expectations and hopes when you put something out? I think my, my biggest hope is for people to look at the destination in a different light. So like I gave you the example of the Dull Lake in Srinagar, you know, people think about this area of India very negatively because of what they've heard in the politics, in the news. But when you go there, when you read the writing and you see what the destination is about physically being there, it just changes your your mind completely. And you realize that your knowledge is so limited by what the media wants you to see and hear and believe. And, you know, I, I was skeptical about going to certain parts of the world. Once I go there and experience it, I'm like, this is nothing like what I heard in the news. And the people, when I talk to them, you know, they give me a very different perspective about their lives and what their beliefs are and I think for for me all travel writing is just a way of being an advocate of bringing those cultural communications and breaking down the barriers where you're able to just connect with people and uh, see things very differently and make up your own viewpoints. Mm. I think there's something also magical about going to a lake destination and writing about it because it's a different way of life. Some people, they're getting their food from there, like you're saying, then some of those flowers, there's different things, um, but also as vacations. I think there's something with that where people get to meet each other, maybe going out on a boat or swimming or fishing or, you know, whatever they're doing. But there's a unity in travel that comes even just maybe within a family with, you know, put your phone down for a second and take a swim and go be silly in the water, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, that's a it's a big deal, Michelle. For you in in travel writing, you know, when, when you put a story out, what are you what are you hoping for? Well, there's there's two kinds of uh, travel stories, I guess, that I'm 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 looking at. One is is obviously where to take your dog. Um, if you've noticed, there's a I've started writing about you know dog friendly locations because I mm-hmm. have a dog. He's a big dog, and and I think a lot of people have pets and animals and they don't want to leave them necessarily at home or with, with sitters or in a, in a kennel. So I like to look at, at places uh, certainly in the last year or so as to, you know, what can I do here with my dog? And um, so that's when I'm go to a place, that's what I'm looking for right now. But I'm the other piece to it is I also like to, to find out, um, you know, a couple of things that are a little bit unusual about a location. I, I like to be able to 
to share that with people. Um, it's really easy to Google, you know, 10 best things to do in, in almost any location in the world. And so I always like mm-hmm. to find just a little piece that's just somewhat different um, just to share with, with people, just to give them a, another, um, just another way to, to look at a place. Yeah. It is, it's a good, and also when you do that, and then you're actually making the destinations look at a place differently too, you know? Yeah. That, yes. That's the other part of it is, um, as a travel writer is, you know, going, um, you know, going out and, and being able to, you know, hey, I'm looking for this and that. And as travel writers, like, sometimes it's like, oh, I didn't know that this was beautiful to other people. Because sometimes we get really, um, we, we start to take our backyard for granted sometimes um, because it's something we see every day. And then somebody else walks in and goes, oh, my gosh, this is this or that, you know, or, hey, yeah, we find maybe it's a small lake and it's just a real gem. And maybe there's a certain bird. People, I'm going back to the birds, Sujeta. <laughs> the, birds the, the birds, the word. Um, and, and you find something like that. And then the community kind of revisits what they have. Have either of you experienced that as travel writers? I can say, Lisa, definitely. And the city that I come from in India, we have a man-made lake called Sukhna Lake. And I grew up with that in my backyard. And to me, it was almost like, you know, this is more like a pond than a lake because it's man-made. It's very small. You can walk around the entire thing in a couple of hours and uh it's it's not something that i i would like to go visit but that was in my backyard until i started taking my friends with me when they would travel to india with me and they're like wow this is so beautiful and this is right in the middle of the city and it does have a lot of bird life and it is also serves as a reservoir for for the city mm-hmm. um and and it attracts a lot of people a lot of uh, tra- travelers from smaller villages around northern India, they come there just for the lake and they take a boat ride, they feel the fresh air. And, you know, when I started seeing that, um, I was like, wow, I probably just took this for granted that it was in my backyard. But now I go back and see it in different appreciation. Mm. You know what? That's really true. Uh, When we were based in Tucson, Arizona, there's a place called uh, Sweetwater and it's a water reclamation project and it turns out that they've got marshes and little lakes little ponds so it's not a complete big lake you know we're in the desert but they reclaim this and people would go to see the birds we you get migratory birds uh you know waterfowl that kind of thing but bobcats started coming back and the whole ecosystem came back in the middle of a city and they also had like a, a have a biking route around it and everything and what was neat is people started to understand the water system of their own community. And so here is this recreation area, but it's like, yeah, where are we getting our water from this desert? You know, how much do we have? Um, what, why are we, you know, recycling it and how, why are we reprocessing it this way? And has this better connection, um, as a community to their water? And also you should know more about your water and complain all the time. Just going to say, cause, Whatever is happening in our water systems across the country is not that great. So you should have that connection. But what's cool is we went to Gainesville, Florida, and there's another sweet water there. <laughs> and this and this had lakes, like bigger water areas with alligators. 
And we, I mean, seriously, I, I still need to do this story on the two Sweetwaters, you know, from Florida to Arizona, both bringing in both uh, reclamation projects for the, you know, the public works and water, um, both of them with, you know, water birds, both with gardens, pollinator gardens. So they're teaching kids about native plants and bringing back, you know, monarch butterflies and bees and all of that good stuff and um, teaching people about plants that they can plant at their homes. Both of them did these amazing projects, but they're little community parks. But Florida had the alligators, which was really cool. So I I vote for the Florida one just on that. But um, yeah, Michelle, what about you? Do you have any lakes in your city area in your backyard? So within Vancouver, we do have a, a number of lakes. We have um, a, a little lake in Vancouver called Trout Lake. It's a community lake. It's it, it's 20 minutes to walk around the outside of it. So it's not really a tourist destination, but if you want to know where the locals are hanging out, if they're hanging out at Trout Lake with their dogs, having picnics. The kids are there. There's a small beach. So we really like that. And then um, just a short drive um, outside of Vancouver, um, is is uh, Sassamat Lake, which again is a freshwater lake, and it is so popular with the locals <laughs> that it is nearly impossible to get a parking spot there. And what's really fabulous, if you go off season, which is not you know the summer season, there's a wonderful trail that takes you around there, a forested trail, and you get to see all of the different colored fungus and mushrooms that pop up. And 20 minutes, it's 20 minutes from my home. And, you know, you always have to be aware of the bears in the area, the black bears. So it, it's it's a really great um, summer hotspot, but there's a lot of nature in the area with right within the middle of, of you know, a city of 2 million people, which is, which I think is pretty cool and pretty interesting. That is amazing. I love that. And I think for families too, you know. Um, to be able to have those those spots and, and to learn about nature is, is a really cool thing as well. Um, so I, I've got to go back to Suchetta because I know she also had Mauritius on her list. And this was, you know, growing up in South Africa as a teenager, Mauritius was like the outside the country destination. <laughs> Unless you went to Lesotho or the Transkei or, or some of the, uh, you know, um, African, um, you know, countries within South Africa or over the borders. But if you went, you know, off the actual continent, it was like, ooh, you're going somewhere overseas. And Mauritius was the big overseas easy thing, especially during the summer. So tell us a little bit about your adventures over there. Yeah, uh, as you know, Mauritius is only a four hours flight from Johannesburg. Um, But it does feel like you're still in Africa, but then you have a little bit of France thrown in and a lot of Indian culture. You know, kind of what you were saying, Lisa, about uh, how lakes serve so many different purposes besides recreation. You know, they're sanctuaries and they're educational. This one is more of a sacred side. And uh, for me, that was very interesting because, you know, it, it, it was not just a lake where people came to for recreation. And not at all, actually. It is the most sacred Hindu uh, place in on the island of Mauritius. So much so, I think even people from all over uh, mainland Africa come there, um, hmm. especially during this festival, which is um, to honor the god Shiva. So hmm. it's called Shivratri, and uh, it takes place around March every year. And you have pilgrims walk from every spot of the island. 
to this uh, lake where they have do offerings, bring in flowers and uh, food, uh, sweets, and they come and pray. So mm-hmm. if if you're just coming in as a tourist, you will still find the temp- the lake being very very busy throughout the year. And it, it is an alpine lake. So it's like you're, you're just driving along this almost flat island with lots of sugarcane fields. And then Ooh. all of a sudden you come into this higher area where there's just this beautiful lake. It's always foggy there for some reason. And then there are these giant statues of Lord Hanuman and Lord Ganesha almost like emerging mm. from the mist. So you just see the top of it while you're driving towards it. And then when, once you get closer, you see the full statues and some of them are like 20 feet tall. And then um, there's a temple that is built around the lake. So you can walk into the temple and uh, see the pilgr- pilgrims come or even the visitors to see w- what is going on there. Um but there, during that festival, as I told you, there are half a million Hindus who come there. And mm. I don't know if you're familiar, but, uh, you know, in, in uh, Mauritius, it's almost 24% of the islanders are of Indian origin, mm-hmm. which I did not even know that when prior to my going there. And uh, Indian languages are as common as English, French, and Mauritian mm-hmm. Creole. And they have been around for over 200 years. So um, a lot of these Indians came, moved there in 1800s, and they've never been to India. They've been in Mauritius for six, seven generations. And this is the tradition that they brought with them, and they still um, retain it. So yeah. it's it's very fascinating to see this. By the way, the, the, the lake is called Ganga Talao. That that's something in you know living in in South Africa and Kenya that I experienced was, you know, you've got these you know various Indian cultures and Creole, which um in South Africa they would say the Cape colored, which is is it's a Creole basically, and um you know Creoles are around the world um like Mauritius and the Bahamas and you know the Caribbean islands, but um and it's a diverse you know um if you've got diverse blood you know um. But in, in Kenya and South Africa, you know, the Indian cultures, that's right. There's so many different languages, you know, and, you know, and different cultures within the Indian community. But they all were, you know, brought over there for work in the 1800s, part of the colonialization of these countries. Um, but the traditions do remain strong, very, very strong. And I think it's because everybody kind of groups together in their communities doesn't mean, you know, friends don't reach over <laughs> the lines and in uh, colors or diversity of people. Right. Um, but the communities live together and are, and very strong about uh, spiritual beliefs, religion, and um, you know, you know, kids are raised in these doctrines in these belief systems and the spirituals and the, the different, you know, cultural traditions. Mm-hmm. So you know, I know that the younger generations may be, you know, moving and changing a little bit here and there, but the culture is, as I grew up, I mean, was very, very strong and still is from what I, you know, know from my friends. Um, and, you know, it's like every year we would celebrate Diwali and I'm like, yeah, 
<laughs> Diwali is one of the best, you know? So, um, it, it just would go like it, living over there. You would have all these different multicultural celebrations that were amazing that everybody kind of got on board with and learned about and respected. Yes, Africa is divided in different ways, but culturally people did respect those beliefs and um, spiritual practices and traditions. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing to be part of, you know? So that's, that's cool to hear about Mauritius. It, it just brings me back to my childhood. You know, it just makes me, makes me a little homesick there. You know, uh, Michelle, um, I know this isn't a lake, but you went to the river again, Jesus. And that's pretty spiritual from what I, what I believe. I'm going there. Yes. It- it it really was it, it i was a little um i was a little nervous going because it it's so far outside anything i have experienced just growing up in in north america um pretty calm childhood um but i went and we were there uh, i was with a a few people and we were there i'm going to say around 4:30 in the morning and already the people coming down uh, the steps to the river was just incredible. There was thousands of people. And so we, we got to go there and um, managed to take a, a little boat ride along, along the shore just to watch all the people come down to the shore. And it was quite amazing um, watching all of the thousands of people on the steps and how they use this river to, to, for their daily lives as well as for, you know, sort of, worship and honor and it was really just an incredible experience and something so far outside of what I had experienced prior to that and it just it gave me a a much better understanding that you know we need to travel more as travelers versus vacationers if that makes mm-hmm. sense um you know as a vacationer you hit the the the, the tourist hot spots but this was just so moving and um, got to watch the sun come up and just see the prayers that were happening. And it mm. really, you know, it really was part of why one of the small reasons, but one of uh, really hit home. One of the reasons I, I really need to get back to India and want to go back and quite frankly, take everybody I know with me. Like it was just <laughs> so moving and incredible. That's amazing. I always want to go there. And, and I think a lot of people, um, Suchetta, is, is this true that they, people, when they're passed, that's part of a, a, a celebration of life, um, when someone is passed to go on into the river Ganges? That's right. Like part of- it's uh, part of the tradition for every Hindu family, no matter where they live, to go and spread the ashes in the river Ganga, uh, for, uh, for, uh, passing and, uh, for the spirits to have a blessed afterlife. Yeah. And, and that's, a, that's an interesting thing about the culture too, is to look at it as a, as a, a spiritual moving on, not necessarily a negative. Whereas a lot in culture, we, we always feel sad when someone is moved on, but we should be celebrating their life moving on, even though, you know, we're always, you know, a loved one goes, we're going to be sad and crying no matter what. There's still grief. You can't, I don't, that's just a human art, you know, of caring. But um it is a celebration. It's it's another chapter. And um it's it's I you know, it is a beautiful thing. It's I you know, to be happy for someone going to the next next chapter, next realm, however, um everyone has their way, you know. Um and I think this is important to talk about spiritual travel 
You know, there's, you know, you going into like going into a mosque. Um, that's not my belief system, but to learn from those who believe in, in, you know, in Muslim traditions or Hindu traditions, Catholic traditions, all these different, you know, spiritual belief practices, you know, a lot of them are based on some similarity of is about doing good and being kind, you know. Um, so if we can kind of agree on that and then just, you know, go in with an open heart and open mind. I think it's just that is a, the beauty and joy of travel and the more cultures that you connect with, the better food you're going to have. I mean, really, listen, that's the beauty of diversity is uh, diversity of palate. I'm just saying, uh, Michelle, your your website is sightsandbites.org. Don't you think travel is all about food too? <laughs> I I agree with you. Um, and and um, you know, if you if you go to places, and I know many people, you, you probably know some yourself, who go to you know different areas of the world, and and they're looking for you know, sort of a chain brand from North America or Canada or U.S., which is so disappointing. And so my my husband and I and my son, we have a rule that we will not eat at a chain if possible, mm-hmm. right? So even yeah. if we're traveling mm-hmm. to Canada or the United States, we will look for anything but a chain restaurant because we want to know what, what the mom and pops of the world are making and we want to know what the locals are, are mm-hmm. making. And we've had some amazing food um, we've had some interesting food as well that maybe not um, our preference, but certainly was was amazing to try it and see what people are eating everywhere yeah. other than than at home. And a hundred percent, if you go traveling, it's a must that you eat something you've never eaten before. Agreed, agreed. Um, lastly, we want to talk about Guatemala. Sucheta, um, tell us about your experience there. I've not been to Guatemala yet. Oh, if you haven't, you definitely should. And it's not too far away from uh, from United States destination. So a very quick uh, flight. Um, you know, uh, Guatemala is is very easy uh, destination tra- travel to. After we talked about going to India and Mauritius, very long flights. Uh, and Lake Atitlan, I think it's one of the most beautiful lakes in the world. Um, some um, people have also called it one of the wonders of the world mm. for just how beautiful and secluded it is um, in the Guatemalan highlands and you're surrounded by the Sierra, Sierra Madre range. Mm. Um, it also supports a lot of communities. So kind of uh, what we talked about, you know, uh, with Michelle, this is an area where you'll find coffee plantations and uh, very not not just owned by large companies but small family run coffee plantations avocado orchards um oh. farmers growing corns and mm. chili and fruit um and uh, fishing um so th- these are all like local businesses that are totally dependent on the lake uh, one of the things I loved most about the lake is just having a base there. Um, and the hotel I stayed at, it is um, called Laguna Lodge, um, which is very sustainable and and luxurious. Um, they don't do any fishing. So they, they have a total vegan menu. Nice. Um, 
and they also organize tours so you can get on the boat right from the hotel and go visit the surrounding villages where you can go and visit a coffee farm. You can learn about weaving. Um, you can visit uh, local artists. You can spend a day with them and really understand their way of life. And the lady who started this uh, hotel, she works alongside with many of these um, artisans. So everything you see at the hotel is uh, sourced from there. But then you also go into the the villages and you see, you know, where it's coming from, uh, where, where the actual source is, who the farmer is. And so you can see the textile cooperatives. You can go to the coffee, the cho- raw cacao, the chocolate factory, and uh, learn about the native dyes, the traditional techniques. And so everything kind of ties into um, what is around the around the lake. But then you also have this home base where you can just enjoy the beautiful, clear blue waters right from your room. Oh, man. All right, Michelle, you coming with me? Go. I want to go. I want to go. Absolutely. Absolutely. Have you been to Guatemala? No. I know. I I have not. You've done Mexico, right? I have been to Mexico. um, Have not really toured, uh, you know, anywhere um, other than um, the coastline of Mexico on the West Coast. But Guatemala absolutely sounds beautiful. Mm Mm-hmm. I, I have know, so many like, places I need I need to go. I know this is this is the problem with these shows. They always make me, you know, a wanderlust. Yet I'm on the road full time, but it's still like it's it's travel is like the best drug in the world. It really is. Um, and everything at the end of my you know my sentence is like I haven't been there yet because yet is my favorite word because <laughs> I haven't done it yet, but I will get there hopefully. You know, it's it's always that you know hope to do so. Um, I do want to, before you ladies go and thank you both for such an amazing conversation. You've wet my travel appetite. I know for the listeners as well, made me hungry as well. Now I want a cup of tea. Um, this is fantastic. I know you both are members of the International Food, Wine, Travel Writers Association, IFTWA. Um, Sushetta, how, how long, um, have you been a member? Um, I've been a member for a few years. I don't remember exactly how long. Uh, but I, I love to write about food and travel both. I actually started with writing about food first and then moved to travel. So it is definitely the organization that encompasses everything I do and stand for. And I highly recommend people join it if they want to get into learning about writing or how to get on press trips or networking with other fellow writers and editors or destinations. It's been super helpful to me. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome to hear. What about you, Michelle? You said like three years you've been a member? Uh, yes, I have, I've been a member for three years. And it, it absolutely has is a great organization. Um, I've been able to meet some really great friends. Um, I've had a couple of press trips, been on a couple of press trips through the through the organization. Um, they offer some training uh, courses and some information sessions. So if you are at all interested in, in uh, being a travel writer, this is definitely the best organization to belong to. They're, they're fantastic. And they do webinars and during COVID they just kept going, which I thought was one of the best things that they they've done too, is they just, you know, connected wineries with wine writers and destinations with travel writers. And 
Um, everything just, they didn't stop. And that's a beautiful thing because um, the destinations needed to still promote and get their word out and travel writers couldn't just sit and twirl their thumbs. That's not happening. Um, so, you know, it was, it was a fantastic effort that I know keeps going and they have their conference coming up in October. Uh, that's going to be a cruise from Vancouver, by the way, <laughs> Vancouver. Yes, it is right Los from Angeles. Vancouver. Are you going to meet the boat? Are you going to be there? I am going to be meeting the boat and uh, um, hopefully uh, going for dinners and stuff with some of the people that will be on on the cruise. Unfortunately, I won't I won't be able to make the cruise this year, but uh, uh-huh. definitely going to be there to, uh, pre-cruise. Oh, that's fantastic! Fantastic, Susheta. Where's your next destination? Um, I'm actually headed to Greece um, in uh, ten days, and uh, that is also. Fantastic. One of the destinations that is featured by IFWTWA. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. Michelle, where's your next destination? So I have a trip uh, in the spring coming up to back to Spain. I'm I'm in love with Spain. And um, my wish list uh, for next year is I I hope to get over to uh, Easter Island. Oh, wow. I love it. I love it. And that's cool. Ladies, thank you both for joining us. And I encourage everyone, uh, go to ifwtwa.org. Everyone that is in the world of travel writing, food writing, wine writing, the destinations, service providers, wineries, all that. Um, but for travelers, follow the hashtag ifwtwa on social media and you will find a gazillion stories. It is a fantastic hashtag. If you want to go uh, plan your next destination, or go for some good armchair traveling. Um, that is one of my favorite hashtags to follow. Check that out. Uh, we are here every day on Big Blend Radio, so keep up with us at bigblendradio.com. And, of course, uh, everyone's websites that we've been talking about will be in the show notes. Uh, Suchetta, you want to give everyone su- – su- I'm going to say this right, Suchetta Rawal. Am I getting it right yet? That's right, Lisa. I'm getting there. So that's the website, Suchetta Rawal. Rawal. See, now I'm going to mess it up. And then also sitesandbites.org for Michelle. Thank you both so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for having us. Yep. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. (laughs) 